Hello there, and welcome to episode 15 of Down to Sleep, the podcast of softly spoken stories to help you fall asleep and get a good night's rest. Thank you for joining me tonight, I will be reading Pride and Prejudice to you. If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash down to sleep, where you'll be rewarded with twice as many episodes, and episodes are twice as long. This includes continued readings of Alice in Wonderland. We have finished that one. We're continuing The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and there's exclusive readings as well, such as the uh, Brothers Grimm fairy tales, short stories by Oscar Wilde, and more. So come and join us on patreon.com slash down to sleep to get everything that this podcast has to offer, including special thank yous and goodnight messages at the end of the episode. The story begins at chapter 5 tonight, as chapters 1 to 4 are available on Patreon. Let's take a nice deep breath, get nice and comfy, and get down to sleep. Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen Chapter 5 Within a short walk of Longbourn lived a family with whom the Bennets were particularly intimate. Sir William Lucas had been formerly in trade in Meryton, where he had made a tolerable fortune, and risen to the honour of knighthood by an address to the king during his meralty. The distinction had perhaps been felt too strongly. It had given him a disgust to his business, and to his residence in a small market town, and in quitting them both he had removed with his family to a house about a mile from Meryton, denominated from that period Lucas Lodge, where he could think with pleasure of his own importance, and, unshackled by business, occupy himself solely in being civil to all the world. For, though elated by his rank, it did not render him supercilious. On the contrary, he was all attention to everybody. By nature inoffensive, friendly and obliging, his presentation at St. James's had made him courteous. Lady Lucas was a very good kind of woman, not too clever to be a valuable neighbour to Mrs. Bennet. They had several children, the eldest of them a sensible, intelligent young woman, about twenty-seven, was Elizabeth's intimate friend. That the Miss Lucases and the Miss Bennets should meet to talk over a ball was absolutely necessary. And the morning after the assembly brought the former to Longbourn to hear and to communicate. You began the evening well, Charlotte, said Mrs. Bennet with civil self-command to Miss Lucas. You were Mr. Bingley's first choice. Yes, but he seemed to like his second better. Oh, you mean Jane, I suppose, because he danced with her twice. To be sure, that did seem as if he admired her. Indeed, I would rather believe he did. I heard something about it, but I hardly know what. Something about Mr. Robinson. Perhaps you mean what I overheard between him and Mr. Robinson. Did I not mention it to you? Mr. Robinson's asking him how he liked our Meryton assemblies, and whether he did not think there were a great many pretty women in the room, and which he thought the prettiest. And he's answering immediately to the last question. Oh, the eldest Miss Bennet, beyond a doubt. There cannot be two opinions on that point. Upon my word, well, that is very decided indeed. That does seem as if... But, however, it may all come to nothing, you know. My overhearings were more to the purpose than yours, Eliza, said Charlotte. Mr. Darcy is not so well worth listening to as his friend, is he? Poor Eliza. To be only just tolerable. I beg you would not put it into Lizzie's head to be vexed by his ill-treatment, for he is such a disagreeable man that it would be quite a misfortune to be liked by him. Mrs. Long told me last night that he sat close to her for half an hour without once opening his lips. Are you quite sure, ma'am? Is there not there a little mistake? said Jane. 
I certainly saw Mr. Darcy speaking to her. I, because she asked him at last how he liked Netherfield, and he could not help answering her, but she said he seemed quite angry at being spoke to. Miss Bingley told me, said Jane, that he never speaks much, unless among his intimate acquaintances. With them he is remarkably agreeable. I do not believe a word of it, my dear. If he had been so very agreeable, he would have talked to Mrs. Long. But I can guess how it was. Everybody says that he is eat up with pride, and dare say he had heard somehow that Mrs. Long does not keep a carriage and had come to the ball in a hack chaise. I do not mind his not talking to Mrs. Long, said Miss Lucas, but I wish that he had danced with Eliza. Another time, Lizzie, said her mother. I would not dance with him if I were you. I believe, ma'am, I may safely promise you never to dance with him. His pride, said Miss Lucas, does not offend me, so much as pride often does, because there is an excuse for it. One cannot wonder that so very fine a young man, with family, fortune, everything in his favour, should think highly of himself. If I may so express it, he has a right to be proud. That is very true, replied Elizabeth, and I could easily forgive his pride if he had not mortified mine. Pride, observed Mary, who piqued herself upon the solidity of her reflections, is a very common failing, I believe. By all that I have ever read, I am convinced that it is very common indeed, that human nature is particularly prone to it, and that there are very few of us who do not cherish a feeling of self-complacency on the score of some quality or other real or imaginary. Vanity and pride are different things, though the words are often used synonymously. A person may be proud without being vain. Pride relates more to our opinion of ourselves, vanity to what we would have others think of us. If I were as rich as Mr. Darcy, cried a young Lucas, who came with his sisters, I should not care how proud I was. I would keep a pack of foxhounds and drink a bottle of wine a day. Then you would drink a great deal more than you ought, said Mrs. Bennet. If I were to see you at it, I should take away your bottle directly. The boy protested that she should not. She continued to declare that she would and the argument ended only with the visit. Chapter 6 The ladies of Longbourn soon waited on those of Netherfield. The visit was soon returned in due form. Miss Bennet's pleasing manners grew on the goodwill of Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley, and though the mother was found to be intolerable and the younger sisters not worth speaking to, a wish of being better acquainted with them was expressed towards the two eldest. By Jane, this attention was received with the greatest pleasure, but Elizabeth still saw superciliousness in their treatment of everybody, hardly accepting even her sister and could not like them, though their kindness to Jane, such as it was, had a value as arising in all probability from the influence of their brother's admiration. It was generally evident whenever they met that he did admire her, and to her it was equally evident that Jane was yielding to the preference which she had begun to entertain for him from the first and was in a way to be very much in love, but she considered with pleasure that it was not likely to be discovered by the world in general, since Jane united with great strength of feeling a composure of temper and a uniform cheerfulness of manner which would guard her from the suspicions of the impertinent. She mentioned this to her friend Miss Lucas. "'It may perhaps be pleasant,' replied Charlotte, "'to be able to impose on the public in such a case, but it is sometimes a disadvantage to be so very guarded.' 
If a woman conceals her affection with the same skill from the object of it, she may lose the opportunity of fixing him, and it will then be but poor consolation to believe the world equally in the dark. There is so much of gratitude or vanity in almost every attachment that it is not safe to leave any to itself. We can all begin freely, a slight preference is natural enough, but there are very few of us who have heart enough to be really in love without encouragement. In nine cases out of ten a woman had better show more affection than she feels. Bingley likes your sister undoubtedly, but he may never do more than like her if she does not help him on. But she does help him on, as much as her nature will allow. If I can perceive her regard for him, he must be a simpleton indeed not to discover it too. Remember, Eliza, that he does not know Jane's disposition as you do. But if a woman is partial to a man and does not endeavour to conceal it, he must find it out. Perhaps he must, if he sees enough of her. But though Bingley and Jane meet tolerably often, it is never for many hours together, and as they always see each other in large mixed parties, it's impossible that every moment should be employed in conversing together. Jane should therefore make the most of every half-hour in which she can command his attention. When she is secure of him, there will be more leisure for falling in love as much as she chooses. "'Your plan is a good one,' replied Elizabeth, "'where nothing is in question but the desire of being well married. "'And if I were determined to get a rich husband or any husband, "'I dare say I should adopt it. "'But these are not Jane's feelings. "'She's not acting by design. "'As yet she cannot even be certain of the degree of her own regard, "'nor its reasonableness.' She has known him only a fortnight. She danced four dances with him at Meryton. She saw him one morning at his own house and has since dined with him in company four times. This is not quite enough to make her understand his character. Not as you represent it. Had she merely dined with him, she might have only discovered whether he had a good appetite, but you must remember that four evenings have also been spent together, and four evenings may do a great deal. Yes, these four evenings have enabled them to ascertain that they both like twenty-one better than commerce, but with respect to any other leading characteristic, I do not imagine that much has been unfolded. Well, said Charlotte, I wish Jane success with all my heart, and if she were married to him tomorrow, I should think she had a good chance of happiness, as if she were to be studying his character for a twelve-month. Happiness in marriage is entirely a matter of chance." If the disposition of the parties are ever so well known to each other or ever so similar beforehand, it does not advance their felicity in the least. They always continue to grow sufficiently, unlike afterwards to have their share of vexation, and it is better to know as little as possible of the defects of the person with whom you are to pass your life. You make me laugh, Charlotte, but it is not sound. You know it is not sound, and that you would never act in that way yourself." Occupied in observing Mr. Bingley's attentions to her sister, Elizabeth was far from suspecting that she was herself becoming an object of some interest in the eyes of his friend. Mr. Darcy had at first scarcely allowed her to be pretty. He had looked at her without admiration at the ball, and when they next met, he looked at her only to criticise. But no sooner had he made it clear to himself and his friends that she hardly had a good feature in her face, then he began to find it was rendered uncommonly intelligent by the beautiful expression of her dark eyes. To this discovery succeeded some others equally mortifying. Though he had detected with a critical eye more than one failure of perfect symmetry in her form, he was forced to acknowledge her figure to be light and pleasing. 
and in spite of his asserting that her manners were not those of the fashionable world, he was caught by their easy playfulness. Of this she was perfectly unaware. To her he was the only man who made himself agreeable nowhere, and who had not thought her handsome enough to dance with. He began to wish to know more of her, and as a step towards conversing with her himself, attended to her conversation with others. His doing so drew her notice. It was at Sir William Lucas's where a large party were assembled. "'What does Mr. Darcy mean?' said she to Charlotte, "'by listening to my conversation with Colonel Forster. "'That is a question which Mr. Darcy only can answer. "'But if he does it any more, I shall certainly let him know that I see what he is about. "'He has a very satirical eye, and if I do not begin by being impertinent myself, "'I shall soon grow afraid of him.' "'On his approaching them soon afterwards, though without seeming to have any intention of speaking,' Miss Lucas defied her friend to mention such a subject to him, which immediately provoking Elizabeth to do it, she turned to him and said, "'Did you not think, Mr. Darcy, that I expressed myself uncommonly well just now, when I was teasing Colonel Forster to give us a ball at Meryton?' "'With great energy. But it is always a subject which makes a lady energetic. You are severe on us.' "'It will be her turn soon to be teased,' said Miss Lucas." I'm going to open the instrumentalizer, and you know what follows. You are a very strange creature by way of a friend, always wanting me to play and sing before anybody and everybody. If my vanity had taken a musical turn, you would have been invaluable, but as it is, I would really rather not sit down before those who must be in the habit of hearing the very best performers. On Miss Lucas's persevering, however, she added, Very well. If it must be, so it must. And gravely glancing at Mr. Darcy... There's a fine old saying which everybody here is of course familiar with, keep your breath to cool your porridge, and I shall keep mine to swell my song. Her performance was pleasing, though by no means capital. After a song or two, and before she could reply to the entreaties of several that she should sing again, she was eagerly succeeded at the instrument by her sister Mary, who having in consequence of being the only plain one in the family worked hard for her knowledge and accomplishments, was always impatient for display. Mary had neither genius nor taste, and though vanity had given her application, it had given her likewise a pedantic air and conceited manner, which would have injured a higher degree of excellence than she had reached. Elizabeth, easy and unaffected, had been listened to with much more pleasure, though not playing half so well, and Mary, at the end of a long concerto, was glad to purchase praise and gratitude by Scotch and Irish airs at the request of her younger sisters, who, with some of the Lucases and two or three officers, joined eagerly in dancing at one end of the room. Mr. Darcy stood near them in silent indignation at such a mode of passing the evening, to the exclusion of all conversation, and was too much engrossed by his thoughts to perceive that Sir William Lucas was his neighbour, till Sir William thus began. "'What a charming amusement for young people this is, Mr. Darcy. There is nothing like dancing, after all.' I consider it as one of the first refinements of polished society. Certainly, sir, and it has the advantage also of being in vogue amongst the less polished societies of the world. Every savage can dance. Sir William only smiled. Your friend performs delightfully, he continued after a pause on seeing Bingley join the group, and I doubt not that you are an adept in the science yourself, Mr. Darcy. You saw me dance at Meryton, I believe, sir. 
Yes, indeed, and receive no inconsiderable pleasure from the sight. Do, do you often dance at St. James's? Never, sir. Do you not think it would be a proper compliment to the place? It is a compliment which I never pay to any place if I can avoid it. You have a house in town, I conclude. Mr. Darcy bowed. I had once had some thought of fixing in town myself, for I am fond of superior society, but I did not feel quite certain that the air of London would agree with Lady Lucas. He pauses in hopes of an answer, but his companion was not disposed to make any. And Elizabeth, at that instant moving towards them, he was struck with the action of doing a very gallant thing, and called out to her. "'My dear Miss Eliza, why are you not dancing? Mr. Darcy, you must allow me to present this young lady to you as a very desirable partner.' You cannot refuse to dance, I am sure, when so much beauty is before you. And taking her hand, he would have given it to Mr. Darcy, who, though extremely surprised, was not unwilling to receive it, when she instantly drew back, and said with some discomposure to Sir William, Indeed, sir, I have not the least intention of dancing. I entreat you not to suppose that I moved this way in order to beg for a partner. Mr. Darcy, with grave propriety, requested to be allowed the honour of her hand, but in vain. Elizabeth was determined, nor did Sir William at all shake her purpose by his attempt at persuasion. "'You excel so much in the dance, Miss Eliza, that it is cruel to deny me the happiness of seeing you, and though this gentleman dislikes the amusement in general, he can have no objection, I am sure, to oblige us for one half-hour.' "'Mr. Darcy is all politeness,' said Elizabeth, smiling. "'He is indeed, but considering the inducement, my dear Miss Eliza, we cannot wonder at his complacence.' For those who would object to such a partner. Elizabeth looked archly and turned away. Her resistance had not injured her with the gentleman, and he was thinking of her with some complacency when thus accosted by Miss Bingley. I can guess the subject of your reverie. I should imagine not. You are considering how insupportable it would be to pass many evenings in this manner, in such society, and indeed I am quite of your opinion. I was never more annoyed. The insipidity, and yet the noise, the nothingness, and yet the self-importance of all those people. What I would give to hear your strictures on them. Your conjecture is totally wrong, I assure you. My mind was more agreeably engaged. I have been meditating on the very great pleasure which a pair of fine eyes in the face of a pretty woman can bestow. Miss Bingley immediately fixed her eyes on his face, and desired he would tell her what lady had the credit of inspiring such reflections. Mr. Darcy replied with great intrepidity, "'Miss Elizabeth Bennet.' "'Miss Elizabeth Bennet,' repeated Miss Bingley. "'I'm all astonishment. How long has she been a favourite, and pray, what am I to wish you joy?' "'That is exactly the question which I expected you to ask. A lady's imagination is very rapid. It jumps from admiration to love, from love to matrimony in a moment. I knew you would be wishing me joy.' "'Nay, if you are serious about it, I shall consider the matter is absolutely settled. "'You will be having a charming mother-in-law indeed, "'and of course she will always be at Pemberley with you.' "'He listened to her with perfect indifference "'while she chose to entertain herself in this manner, "'and as his composure convinced her that all was safe, "'her wit flowed long. "'And that is where we shall close the book "'on tonight's episode of Down to Sleep.' If you would like to hear more chapters or the first four chapters, then you can do so by joining me at patreon.com slash down to sleep and support the podcast and get all of the episodes and the extended episodes and the weekly bonus episodes as a reward for supporting us. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I hope that you have a beautiful sleep and I will see you next Monday 
with another episode of Down to Sleep. Have a beautiful week. Good night.